Our text this Lord's Day is found in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 25. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. One of the reasons for such frustration and confusion in growing in the Christian life and being sanctified within the Christian life and putting to death the old man is due to the various conflicting and erroneous schools of thought that have been propounded in various Christian churches and circles. There are churches that teach that the Christian simply needs to yield all to Christ by way of a very passive yielding in overcoming sin. But there is little or no emphasis on the hard work of exercising ourselves to godliness or running the race with agonizing self-control for fear that such agonizing effort on the part of the Christian would introduce human effort into our growth in Christ. We may have heard the expression, and and many within these circles will use, let go and let God. For these churches, loving obedience and, uh, and obedience to the commandments of God and strenuous effort to follow Christ is viewed as legalism. Not being led by the Spirit. You see, many times uh, these schools of thought will use the phrase being led by the Spirit rather than following vigorously, strenuously, and walking in obedience to the commandments of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. They, They very often will substitute the one for the other so that they become basically antinomian. They are against the law and the commandments of God by way of obeying them. Certainly, we do not obey the law of God in order to be justified. But the law of God, the commandments of God are good and holy and righteous and spiritual. As we will see in the sermon, they are the standard of righteousness. The fruit of the Spirit, in fact, is not contrary to the law. It's not against the law. It's perfectly agreeable to the law, the righteousness of the law. There are also churches that go to the opposite extreme and teach that growth in the Christian life is one of strict obedience to the commandments of God, but there is little or no emphasis on the inward work of the the powerful Holy Spirit, the resurrection power of Jesus Christ in transforming us from the inside out. These churches have an outward form of godliness, but they deny the power of God's Spirit working within them, as Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5. There are also churches that teach that growth in the Christian life occurs as a result of a crisis experience, a second work of grace, like a second conversion experience in the life of a Christian. And that experience may be uh, called by different names. It may be called entire sanctification. It may be called full consecration. Or it may be called baptism of the Holy Spirit. But in each case, There really is not growth, significant growth, until one has this crisis experience. Whereas the Word of God teaches 
that from the time of conversion there is to be in the life of a Christian continual, constant growth in dependence upon the Holy Spirit from the very point of conversion. According to this view, real Christian growth is not to be expected apart from this singular work of power at a particular point in the life of the Christian. Some churches in this category have also had, as well, a tendency to promote the idea that perfection or near perfection is attainable in this life, despite, despite the struggle that Paul himself said he faced in Romans chapter 7, in warring and battling against the flesh. And as he says likewise concerning this struggle in Galatians 5, verses 16 through 17, where he says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. Actually, these unbiblical views of sanctification will all lead to frustration, confusion, spiritual exhaustion, and even hopelessness and despair. Paul rather gives to every Christian, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the true school of thought on growth and sanctification in the Christian life here in Galatians chapter 5, verses 24 through 25, which we're going to look at in more detail in just a moment. But there he says, And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Paul would have, dear ones, every Christian to look back in faith to what Christ has already accomplished for us and in us. In his death, in Christ's death and resurrection, and in our new birth, in our regeneration. And then to take what we are, what Christ has accomplished for us, and use that to apply it in our daily lives through the hard and vigorous and strenuous work of prayer and studying the scriptures and applying the scriptures to our life and saying no to that temptation in growing, being grown in the fruit of the Spirit. In this, our concluding sermon on the fruit of the Spirit, let us hear and apply by faith the biblical model of overcoming sin and growing in the fruit of the Spirit day by day in the life of the Christian. Our main points are these. <clears throat> Number one, our sinful passions and lusts have been crucified with Christ. Galatians 5.24 Number two, as new creatures in Christ, we must walk in the present by the Spirit. Number two, as new creatures in Christ, we must walk in the present by the Spirit. Galatians 5.25 So let us consider then our first main point <clears throat> Our sinful passions and lusts have been crucified with Christ. Once again, look with me at Galatians 5.24. <clears throat> and they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. How do you conclude a series that has taken one a year up to this point has been studying and going through 
the, 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 the subject of the fruit of the Spirit, how do you bring a conclusion to a series like that? Well, it's, it's not easy. We want to, however, just review for a moment what Galatians is all about. The letter of Paul to the Galatians is, dear ones, a declaration of freedom. A declaration of liberty in Jesus Christ. Not a liberty to do as we please. Not a liberty to indulge the lust of our flesh. But a liberty, dear ones, from the guilt of the law. Uh, a liberty and freedom from the curse and condemnation of the law. A liberty from the power of sin in ruling our lives. And a liberty to please the Lord Jesus Christ through loving obedience to his commandments and bearing the fruit of the Spirit to his glory. You see, there were in the churches of Galatia Jewish converts who had made a profession of faith in Christ, but who falsely maintained that in order to be justified, to be right with God, whether one was a Jew or whether one was a Gentile, all must alike keep the explicit dictates of the ceremonial and dietary laws of the Old Testament. Circumcision, holy days, various ceremonies and eating only that which God called clean and avoiding that which God called unclean. And in so doing, they were adding the necessity of their own obedience and righteousness to faith in Jesus Christ. It wasn't faith alone in Jesus Christ. It was faith in Christ plus these acts of obedience on their parts. And on the basis then of that, they could be declared righteous, they said, before God. Paul, in no uncertain terms, declares that all those proclaiming such a gospel are proclaiming not the true gospel, but are proclaiming a false gospel. For the gospel means good news. It means good news. And the gospel is this, dear ones, that we are sinners and we cannot save ourselves, that our righteousness is as filthy rags, and that Jesus Christ alone is righteous. Jesus Christ alone was obedient to the entire law of God. And that, that gospel, that good news, is offered and presented to us and when we believe, when we trust in Christ and in His righteousness, we are declared righteous before God, not on the basis of our righteousness, but on the basis of Christ's righteousness alone. Paul says in Galatians 1, verses 6 through 9, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from Him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so say I now again. If any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. And though the Apostle Paul specifically in that context, in that historical context, was addressing Jewish ceremonies, the same, dear ones, would equally apply to anyone seeking to be righteous before God in this particular age on the basis of church ceremonies, 
New Testament ceremonies. If we believe that anything we do by way of obeying a commandment of God, a ceremony, if we believe that to be our obedience and our righteousness, which we add to faith, Paul would condemn us just as he condemned the Judaizers who made a profession of faith in Christ, but yet were adding to the gospel of Jesus Christ, making it a false gospel. You see, the principle is the same, though the historical context may be different. Justification comes not by our imperfect obedience, but by faith alone in the perfect obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul then moves beyond our once and for all justification before God to our gradual and continual sanctification in our day-to-day Christian life in Galatians chapter 5. For you see, dear ones, our liberty in Jesus Christ is not limited to our freedom from the guilt and the condemnation of the law, the guilt and condemnation of sin, but is ever more realized that freedom and liberty in Christ is even more gloriously realized because the Lord Jesus Christ has as well brought about a victory over the power of sin as well. We have, dear ones, a freedom and liberty from the power of sin in our lives so that sin does not have a legal right to lead us astray this way or that way. The legal right of sin has been destroyed. It has no legal right. And we need to live more and more. And that's what sanctification is. It's growing in applying the legal rights we have as the children of God to being set apart from sin and set apart unto the holiness of our God. But the daily experience that every Christian knows in the battle to grow into the likeness of Jesus Christ and to subdue the sins that would overwhelm him or her is the reality that we all face. That daily battle is the reality that we all face. It's not a cakewalk. It's not a a walk in the park. This is a battle that we face day in and day out. As Paul says, again, in Galatians 5, verses 16 through 17, he says that this is, again, a case of the flesh lusting against the spirit, the spirit lusting against the flesh. They are contrary to one another, so we cannot do the things that that we would. This very much reminds us as well of what Paul shares by way of his own personal testimony in Romans chapter 7, verses 18 through 19, where Paul says, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing, for to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Paul experienced the same battle. We're not unique in the battle that we face with regard to sin and temptation and growing the fruit of the Spirit and running the race that is set before us. This battle within is evidenced on the one hand, Paul goes on to say in Galatians chapter 5, it's evidenced on the one hand by what he calls the works of the flesh, the works of the flesh and its evil desires that he lists in Galatians 5, verses 19 through 21. And these works of the flesh, uh, Paul says in verse 21, and such like, and of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. They who do such things, the 
Greek word there is proso. It's in the, the continu- continuing present tense. And it has the idea those who continue to live in these sins. Uh, when this is what characterizes a person's life is, are these sins, uh, then again they shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Where there is no faith, where there is no repentance, where there is continuing, continuing uh, partaking of, manifesting these types of sins of such ones, he says, they shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So that on the one hand, uh, the works of the flesh uh, in this ongoing battle, but also on the other hand, as we see in Galatians 5, verses 22 through 23, uh, uh, we find the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And notice the fruit, uh, we've noted, noted this in the past, but once again note that the fruit, the word fruit is in the singular. It's not the fruits of the Spirit, it is the fruit of the Spirit. For all those who are justified by faith alone possess the entire package, possess the fruit of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit has implanted all of the fruit in the life of the Christian at his or her regeneration, in the new birth. Jesus Christ died and was raised to secure that as an inheritance for all his people. And the Holy Spirit then applies it in the heart and life of Christ's people. And so, The fruit is, though there are various qualities and characteristics of that fruit, the fruit is a package. A Christian isn't going to have seven of the nine. A Christian is one who has all nine of the fruit of the Spirit that are listed there. It's not, uh, dear ones, uh, a pick and choose that which is your favorite. This is the bestowal of God's Spirit. And in the life of the Christian, again at various stages of our growth in Jesus Christ, we will see to varying degrees growth in maybe one area more than another. But we need to be cognizant of that. We need to say, Lord, I see I'm falling behind in the growth of this particular fruit of the Spirit. Lord, I need to focus. I need to spend time praying. I need to work more diligently in seeing this as well as the other fruit of the Spirit manifest in my life. But dear ones, this is, again, not an individualistic choosing of one fruit over the other in the life of a Christian. This is, and it all comes in one bundle, implanted in our hearts and in our lives. Now listen, dear ones. Listen to this. Paul, in the letter to the Galatians, is not only declaring your liberty as one who is justified, but is also declaring your liberty as one who is being sanctified and set apart from sin, and set apart unto holiness. That as well is true of all Christians. You don't have any such thing as a justified Christian, but not a sanctified Christian. There's no such creature that lives and exists. All those who are justified are being sanctified, and will be fully sanctified, set apart from sin, and unto the Lord when they are in glory with the Lord Jesus Christ. There is biblical hope in Jesus Christ that just as you have been legally delivered from the guilt and penalty of sin through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is likewise hope, Germans, your sanctification is likewise assured through that same death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
and through the implantation of the fruit of the Spirit within you at regeneration, at being born again. You see, dear ones, that is simply to say what we've said many times over throughout this series. To implant the fruit of the Spirit in you is to implant the life of Jesus Christ within you. It is to implant Christ's DNA within you. These are His, supremely His characteristics that He manifests and that has been as well implanted within you that you might become more and more like Him. That's His life in you. And so, again, to say that one can be a Christian and yet not have the fruit of the Spirit is completely contrary to what Paul would be teaching here. It's, it's an impossibility. One who is a Christian will be manifesting to varying degrees, again, some 30, some 60, some 100-fold in, the, in, in their growth in Jesus Christ, but they will all be manifesting the fruit of the Holy Spirit in their lives. It's there. It's been implanted there. And so as a result of that, you're no longer bond slaves to sin. As you were before your conversion, you were, you were bound to sin. But now because of what Christ has accomplished for you upon the cross and in his resurrection, and by... Uh, because of what the Holy Spirit has worked within you at, in, in your regeneration and in your sanctification, you are no longer bound to follow the dictates of sin. In fact, you are empowered to be able, by the, the Holy Spirit, by the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, to exercise yourselves to godliness. To run with diligence, to run with great strain, even agonizing self-control. You are given the ability by God to run that race and to finish that race that the Lord has set before you. You see, dear ones, it's already yours. It's already yours. Paul says, that is what you have in Christ. Now practice it. That is who you are in Christ. Now behave like who you are in Christ. As Paul completes his list of the fruit of the Spirit... In Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23. Remember that this is, dear ones, not an exhaustive list of the fruit of the Spirit. What about the fear of the Lord? What about humility? What about hungering and thirsting for Christ? What about heavenly wisdom? What about perseverance? We could go on and on. This is a representative list. It is not an exhaustive list. And therefore, all that you need to live a godly Christian life, courage, all that you need to live a, a godly Christian life is yours in Jesus Christ, has been implanted within you by the Holy Spirit. Christ secured it for you. It's been deposited into your spiritual heavenly bank account. It is yours in Christ Jesus. Now it is a matter of applying what is yours, what is your inheritance as a child of God. After revealing that the way to overcome the works of the flesh is by growing the fruit of the Spirit, Paul writes in Galatians 5.23 at the very end, against such there is no law. In other words, there is no law against such fruit implanted and grown by the Holy Spirit in the life of the Christian. For this fruit, dear ones, is perfectly agreeable to 
the holy commandments of God. There's no uh, conflict. There is conflict against the flesh and the spirit. There's conflict against the works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. But there is no conflict between the righteousness of God's law and the righteousness of the fruit of the spirit. Against such there is no law. In fact, there is the very end and the very goal to which the law of God points is this fruit. In 1 Timothy 1.5, now the end of the commandment, the end of God's commandments, or the end of God's law is charity, is love, which is the first fruit of the Spirit, which in, a, in, in essence encompasses all of the others. The end or the goal of the, of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. But this fruit, dear ones, as we've noted, is the very life of Christ. This fruit is conformity to Jesus Christ. Though the law of God, dear ones, cannot save us, it doesn't have the power to save us. And we do not have the power to perfectly keep it. However, the law of God is the standard. The moral law of God is the standard of God's righteousness. And not the power to save us. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the power of God unto salvation. It is the gospel and the grace of God in the gospel that grants us the power to believe and trust in Jesus Christ, who is our righteousness. Nevertheless, dear ones, the fruit of the Spirit, as to its righteousness, mirrors the law of God as to its righteousness. And as we grow in the fruit of the Spirit, we are then growing in conformity to God's righteous law, to God's righteous commandments, which Jesus Christ himself fulfilled for us. Though the works of the flesh, as we said, are against the righteousness of God's law, the fruit of the Spirit is not. Those that are growing, that have and are growing in the fruit of the Spirit, have nothing to fear from the condemning wrath of God's law. For to them who, are, who have and are growing in the fruit of the Spirit, the law is not a curse to them any longer. It is now to them in the hands of a gracious, loving mediator. It is the standard of righteousness for them. But it is not a curse. It is not that which condemns any longer. Now we come to Galatians 5.24. We come to the first of a, a two-pronged Spirit-empowered and biblical means to overcome sin and to promote true spiritual growth in your life as a Christian. The first prong, which we have spoken about in the course of the series, but Paul is bringing this to a conclusion. And I, I dare say that he does so in such a simple manner one where he could have gone on and on and on, but he simplifies what it is to grow and how we grow in the Christian life, how we bear fruit to the glory of Jesus Christ in these two verses. That's why I say it's a two-pronged biblical means to overcome sin and to promote true spiritual growth in the life of a Christian, contrary to these other schools of thought that I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon. This is Paul's school of thought 
spirit-inspired school of thought for growth in your Christian life. Paul begins in Galatians 5.24 with the phrase, and they that are Christ's. They that are Christ. These are they that belong to Jesus Christ. Why? Because the Father gave them to Christ even before the world began in the covenant of redemption. And then Christ redeemed those whom the Father had given to him. Christ in time redeemed them. He went to the cross and he paid the price of God's wrath and condemnation for their sins that they might be delivered from that condemnation and they might be delivered from the power of sin in their lives. In John chapter 6, verses 37 through 39, we read Jesus speaking, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And so we see there are certain ones that the Father has given to the Son. And this giving occurred even before the world was created, in eternity, in the covenant, eternal covenant of redemption. And Christ came in the covenant of grace in time and secured the redemption through his own righteousness, which he kept his his active righteousness and keeping the law of God, his passive righteousness and suffering and being obedient to the point of death for his people. So these are the ones that belong. When it says, and they that are Christ's. These are the ones that are Christ's. God has given them to the, to the Lord Jesus Christ to save and to redeem and And the Holy Spirit has applied that redemption in their lives. And they have come to the Lord. They have trusted alone in Christ alone for their eternal salvation. And they are growing. And they are growing in their sanctification. These are the ones that belong to Christ. And then he goes on to say, And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh. Not the physical body, the flesh, but the corrupt nature inherited from Adam. They have crucified the flesh with the affections, with the, with the passions, in other words, with the affections and lusts, those desires, those evil desires within. Well, when were we, uh, when were we crucified? When were all those who belong to Christ crucified? Well, we were crucified when Christ was crucified. Because he represented us in the covenant of grace. We who were given to him from eternity, we who would come to trust and believe in Christ, He represented us upon the cross. We were legally, dear ones, crucified with Jesus Christ. We were legally crucified with the Lord so that sin might no longer have a legal right to exercise dominion over us and so that we might live a life pleasing and glorifying to Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 2, we see this crucifixion with Christ, this legal crucifixion with 
with Jesus Christ, who was our federal head, and we were represented by him in the covenant of grace. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Our old man, that nature that that Paul is speaking about in Galatians chapter 5, that is uh, the root of these sinful, wicked passions and lusts within us, That was nailed to the cross, the Apostle Paul says. That was nailed to the cross legally with Jesus Christ. Likewise, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 15, we read, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge, now notice, that if one died for all, then we're all dead. If one died for all, Jesus died for all, we're going to have to narrow, we're going to have a look at the word all here in a moment. Paul is saying that if Christ died for all, then all legally died. Then all legally died. And he goes on to say, and that he died for all, that they who that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Certainly, certainly, those who never receive Jesus Christ by faith alone cannot be said to be dead to sin. Paul says that that Christ died for all, therefore all died. Who are the all? All his people, all his elect. All of them for whom Christ died, died. Died to sin. Legally died to sin when Christ died for sin. And so this is, dear ones, the truth of what Paul is teaching in this first prong means of biblical growth in the Christian life. We need to always remember, to understand, to remember, to look back in faith that we have died legally to sin and to sin's control over us. This is not a legal fiction just to make us feel better about our struggles with sin. This is a legal fact, dear ones. We were crucified with Christ that sin might not have dominion over us any longer. Sadly, Christians either are ignorant of this truth or rather judge the reality of that truth by the sin they they see in their lives and act as though it were not true. Rather than beginning with the legal reality and saying, I am dead to sin through the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and taking the legal reality and beginning to live that legal reality in their lives, their everyday lives, because they see sin in their lives so often, and because they seem to fall, they begin to doubt the legal reality. They begin to doubt that that they were actually put, their sin was put to death when Christ was, was crucified. You see, that's where Paul begins. In so many circles, Christian circles, schools of thought for sanctification, they don't begin where Paul begins. Understand, if you belong to Christ, Paul says, you're dead to sin. Your old man 
those natural affections, sinful natural affections and lusts of the flesh, they were nailed to the cross with Jesus Christ. Dear ones, when we do not, by faith, legally account ourselves to be a dead corpse on the cross and a corrupting body putrefying in a tomb with a huge rock blocking exit or entrance to it. We are, dear ones, uh, in effect, taking that dead corpse off from the, cor- uh, from the cross and moving that great huge rock in front of the tomb and taking that putrefying body out of the tomb placing it on our shoulder and carrying it around with us. That stinking, corrupting, putrefying body of the flesh which was nailed to the cross and buried in the tomb. We're taking it back and carrying it around with us. Why would we do that? when we don't have to, when we can live by God's grace, Paul says, that's where we begin. Recognizing, first of all, every single day as we awake, I have been crucified with Christ. I've been crucified with Christ. That's That, that body of sin has been nailed to the cross. It's been placed in the tomb. It's dead, legally dead. It has no right to exercise dominion over me. There is no, dear ones, no sustained and consistent growth in the life of the Christian where this truth is not daily trusted in as a legal certainty, as a legal reality. That is where our growth in Jesus Christ must always begin. I am dead with Christ to sin. It's like a criminal, dear ones, on death row, being legally pardoned because another paid his penalty with his own life. And yet that convict refusing to leave that solitary confinement in prison, living as if he were still bound to the death penalty, to that dying corpse when he was legally set free. When he was legally set free. You see, that's the first prong of this biblical means of growing in the Christian life and subduing the sinful passions and desires within. Look back in faith, dear dear ones, daily, for there is your victory over sin. Our second main point, we'll go through this much more quickly. As new creatures in Christ, we must walk in the present by the Spirit. The Apostle Paul says in if he, oh, I'm sorry, Galatians chapter 5, verse 25, If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. If we live in the Spirit, or this is a, another way to translate that portion of the verse, if we live by the Spirit, which I actually prefer. For, dear ones, it is by the grace and the power of the Holy Spirit that we live. Paul, having declared that we who belong to Christ are legally free and set at liberty from the evil affections and lusts of the flesh in Christ's crucifixion and death, he now moves from death to life. He assumes here those who have legally died have also legally been raised to new life. When Christ was powerfully raised from the dead and have also been spiritually raised from the dead when they were regenerated, born again by the Holy Spirit. If we live 
So he's moved from being crucified with Christ. Now he says, if we live, that's the natural process here. Now that we have died with Christ, we've been raised with Christ. If we live by the power of the Holy Spirit through the resurrection of Christ and through regeneration, being born again. Thus we who died with Christ live anew in two senses. We live anew in two senses. Legally, when Christ was raised from the dead, we were raised with him through our covenantal union with him since he federally represented us in the covenant of grace. We read in Romans chapter 6, verses 10 through 12, about this legal being raised, legally being raised from the dead. Paul says, For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Talking about Christ. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Why? Because you've died legally to sin, and you've been legally raised from the dead with new life. But we're also not, we're not only legally raised from the dead, we are also spiritually raised from the dead as we read in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 through 5. I'm sorry, Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 5. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. Quickened, made us alive, raised us up with Christ. By grace ye are saved. And so, dear ones, if we continue only to look at our sinful lusts and desires, if that becomes our, our primary focus in the Christian life, just looking at our sinful desires and our lusts, crying out to God over our sin, but not reckoning our death to sin to be legally real, and not reckoning our life in Christ to be legally real and spiritually real, we will continue to carry about with us, carrying upon our back that corrupting, smelly corpse of sin. No wonder, there was no wonder so many Christians are so weighed down by the burden of sin. They will not look back. Or they've not been taught to look back in faith to what Christ has already accomplished. Forgiveness of sin, yes. Praise the Lord. But also death to sin. Death to sin. And new life in bearing the fruit of the Spirit and loving obedience to Christ's commands. Yes. You know, just to use another illustration, to not look back to, the, to what Christ has accomplished and apply it in our, in our present life would, would perhaps be somewhat like the widow we find in 2 Kings chapter 4, the widow of one of the sons of the prophets, who after her husband's death could not pay off all her creditors. They were banging, as it were, at the door, demanding to be paid, and she went to Elisha, pleading for something to be done. And Elisha told her how many jars, how many, how many bottles uh, do you have? And uh, she had one. Uh, he said, go and find, go borrow, go find as many as you can possibly find and bring them into your house. And she did so. And as she, and as she went back, 
the Lord filled all of those jars and bottles with oil. And, and Elisha told her, go now and take the oil that you have, exchange it for money, pay off the creditors to whom you are indebted. You see, she had to believe. She had to trust that God would do what he said he would do. And she acted upon it. It wasn't simply a promise, yes, that's wonderful, that's a glorious promise. She acted in faith upon that. And we must do the same with regard to the fact that we have died to sin, but been made alive to righteousness, to bearing the fruit of the Spirit. We must do the same thing. What would have happened had she not believed and obeyed the word of the Lord? She would have either starved or been enslaved to her creditors. She did believe, and she lived. And you see, that is our problem so often. Christ has made Jeremiah's full provision for us. Full provision, sufficiency for us. He has deposited this unfathomable inheritance into our, our heavenly bank account. And we continue to walk about as if we were starving paupers rather than children of the king of kings. Or worse, as if we were still imprisoned convicts awaiting our death sentence when the price has already been paid and we have been set free by the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Everyone's how my heart aches and aches for so many that I have counseled over the years, struggling Christians whom I believe understand the gospel and trusting in the gospel, but will not and have not looked back in faith as this woman did to their legal death and resurrection in Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul goes on to say, if we live in or by the Spirit, let us also walk in or by the Spirit. Let us also walk. If we've been made alive with Christ, let us walk by the power of the Holy Spirit in light of what Christ has accomplished for us. See, this is the second prong of, of that biblical means to live <clears throat> a life in putting, uh, subduing sin in our lives and in bearing fruit, the fruit of godliness, the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. The first biblical prong, remember, look in faith to what Christ has already accomplished for you who belong to him. The second biblical prong, apply by faith in the present time that which is legally and spiritually yours. Apply, dear ones, that which Christ has accomplished for you. Now, this is the hard part. This is the strenuous work of not only faith, but of practice. Not only trust, but also obey. Not only hear the word in faith, but also apply the word in loving obedience, as James says, but be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. In James 1.22. For the most part, there was this series on the fruit of the Spirit is focused upon the second prong. That is, our practice. Though we have elaborated at various times what Christ has, has certainly accomplished uh, for us as the basis. The fruit of the Spirit was secured for us by the death and, and resurrection of Christ, and it has been implanted in us by the Holy Spirit. But the application of what was secured 
by Christ for us and was implanted in us by the Holy Spirit always is the strenuous uh, work, the vigorous effort, the agonizing self-control in running the race. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is the hard Difficult part, because it takes us out of our comfort zone where we really have to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow the Lord Jesus Christ if what he accomplished on the cross is real and true, and if we have believed it and received it as our own. You see, dear ones, this is not an excuse to become lazy. Christ has crucified the flesh. I, I, I'm crucified with Christ. I've been raised with Christ and leave it there. Right now I can live however I want to live. No. That's not what the Christian life is about. Christian life is about, again, this continuity. That which Christ has accomplished for us, we are daily to appropriate by faith in our lives. That is, again, in summary form, what Paul teaches by way of a biblical view of growing in our Christian life, in subduing sin in our Christian life. Without Christ, and I've used this many, many times as well, without Christ you can do nothing. But you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. All things. Let us then, dear ones, neither turn to the perfectionists who talk as if we can totally eradicate sin in this life. This is denying the reality of the battle we face and denying the truth of God that Christians continue to struggle with sin in this life. There's no need for there to be a battle in the Christian life. There's nothing that can possibly hinder us if we can become perfect in this life. Paul does not ever speak of, of, of his having already attained that particular point of, of perfection in his own life. He continues to struggle so let us not turn to the perfectionists, but let us neither, dear ones, turn to the defeatists. Let us not turn to those who are defeatists, who talk a good talk, and yet only go half-heartedly to war against sin, never expecting that they can actually see the resurrection power of the Lord Jesus Christ operating in their life and overcoming sin in their life and growing them in the fruit of the Holy Spirit because they have lost sight of what Christ accomplished in his death and resurrection for his people. And they have lost sight not only of what Christ accomplished, but what Christ has prepared in the future for them. They've lost sight of it. And this sadly becomes the lot of so many who profess Christ. They become defeatists through, again, failing and falling time and time again. They almost give up. What's the use? But dear ones, I am here to tell you, based upon the authority of God's holy word, a God who cannot lie, that there is growth in the Christian life by this two-pronged school of thought that the Apostle Paul gave. Look back in faith to what Christ has accomplished. We can also say, though it's not taught in this passage, look forward in hope to what Christ will bring to you and give to you. And then, in light of what Christ has accomplished, practice. Call upon the Lord in faith. Lord, this is what Thou hast accomplished for me. It is not a legal 
fiction. It is a legal reality. By God's grace, help me to apply that in my life with regard to this matter, this issue, this sin, and overcoming sin and bearing fruit to the glory of God. Let us never forget, dear ones, we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. Amen. Let us stand in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, glory be to thy name. We are so thankful as we come to thee now that there is, Lord, hope. There is victory in Jesus Christ over, Lord, the, uh, the most fierce enemies that come against us. But, Father, we must trust and then we must obey. We must look back in faith, but we must also, Lord, apply, vigorously, strenuously run the race want more than anything this life to be holy, to be like Christ, to bear fruit to the glory of Christ. We cannot do this half-heartedly. This must require, dear ones, or dear Father, this must require all, all of our uh, exercising ourselves to godliness. And so, Lord, we pray, supply all that we lack and cause us to, to lean upon thee, not unto our own understanding. We ask, Lord, fill us with that faith and hope and that loving obedience that we might, again, be conformed to the image of Christ through the bearing of fruit to thy glory. In Christ's name, amen.